Hi, my name is Derek Schneider, and I own Visiting Angels in Wichita Falls, Texas, and Lawton, Oklahoma. This podcast is called Addressing the Elephant because I believe it is better to be proactive rather than reactive when it comes to aging well. So each episode, I'll invite someone that has a ton of experience about an issue or topic that relates to elder care, which is a topic that if you live long enough, we'll all have to face. I hope you really enjoy. I wish I found you a long time ago. We could have taken it easy, could have taken it slow. And passed our old lives like a sweet summer day, like waves on the water watching time melt away. Okay. We are here today um, addressing the elephant with Teresa Edget. Teresa, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for being here. Hey, tell us a little bit about you and how you got into this industry. Um, I started nursing 20 plus years ago. Awesome. Um, end of life care was probably the last thing that I would ever do uh, at the time. Uh, I was finishing up nursing school and my grandmother became very ill mm. and uh, we went through that process without hospice and it was very eye-opening to yeah. know what could be available and you know uh, what could help the family the patient and all the things that we missed out on um, and since that time it's just been a love for what I do um, I know people ask me all the time you know that must be the most uh, pressing job that you could do right and it's actually not you know every day i just say my prayers and thank the lord that yeah. i've been blessed and had the opportunity because we truly have an opportunity to make a difference in patients lives and their families yeah that's awesome so um where did you go to nursing school i went to nursing i was the first class in vrjc's uh new uh transition class okay so it was here locally yeah um that was after i Got my bachelor's degree in marketing and decided that that wasn't for me. Not for you. So. Yeah. Cool. So, so um, where was your first kind of stint in the nursing field? Uh, I started out in labor and delivery okay. at the hospital. I think everybody does that. <laughs> doesn't they? And so uh, I worked there for about a year uh -huh. and then I started moonlighting and home health. Um, and I did that. And then I, I did a short time with a geriatric psych program. Yeah. And then I just felt like I needed something different and got the opportunity to go to work for hospice yeah. and has really never left. Awesome. So, so we wanted to kind of talk a little bit about what, like, you know, some myths with hospice because hospice is like a scary word for people. Definitely is. And I thought it may be a really fun, I don't know how fun this will be, but like really important conversation to talk about, well, let's just, what is hospice and, and, and then what are the myths about it? Okay. So uh, I guess you kind of tell me, like, what is a common myth that you always hear of? One of the things that we hear certainly here locally is that hospice is a place. Yeah. Um, actually, hospice is a type of care. Uh, it was developed a long time ago. Uh, and in fact, when it first started here, Medicare did not pay for hospice care. Okay. It was unfunded. Uh, since that time, I guess, Medicare began to pay for hospice care. Um, but it is a service that's to be delivered basically wherever the patient is. Yeah. Ideally, it's in the home. Uh, I know all the surveys that they've done show that at least 70, if not as high as 90% of the people wish to die at home. Yeah. 
Um, now, where that home is, it may be it may be a nursing home, it may sure. be assisted living, or it may be their home. Yeah. Um, you know, so typically hospice is a it it is a type of care, and it's usually delivered in the home. Perfect. So, um, you know, another thing that pops up in my mind is um, is is hospice only for someone that is dying okay um there of course we have guidelines that we go by the medicare guideline says that a patient has to have a prognosis of six months or less Um, and that's determined by who the physician okay the the referring physician determines that prognosis okay um nobody has the crystal ball to know when that is right um, it's just our best guess scenario. How do they determine that? They're again, Medicare puts out guidelines. Yeah, yeah. You know, re- regarding diagnosis, okay. um, symptoms, uh, pro- things that we look at to see how the disease is progressing. Okay. Um, and lately, there's a big push for what they call palliative care, uh-huh. which is hospice is palliative care, but yeah. there's a definite difference between tradi- you know, hospice and palliative care. Got it. Um, palliative care is typically for patients that have a prognosis of a year or more. Okay. And, uh, like I said before, hospice is six months or less. So, um, and then hospice is, you know, we have guidelines that we go by, uh, it's a gray area because, you know, nobody has the perfect symptoms or prognosis. Sure. Um, so we try to pull together the most information possible and assess that patient and determine, you know, and let and the physician ultimately determines if they feel like that patient meets guidelines. Got it. And, and so what is, I guess what would be, and maybe you can't speak on this is, and maybe this is too difficult of a question. Is there a common, no matter what this person is on and, and is eligible for hospice and no matter what this person is no is is not ready it, it there's a difference of course whether they're ready or okay. not versus whether they qualify or not okay that's good you, you that's know, good because, yeah okay um there are a lot of people that qualify that aren't ready yes um but actually there's no real cut you know black and white picture okay um if you take a cancer diagnosis mm-hmm. um if they're not seeking aggressive treatment the physician may give them a prognosis of you know two two to three weeks to six months or um, that's kind of what we look at. But what we've found honestly is that when hospice gets involved with these patients, um, because of the level of care hospice offers and that we're there so often, oftentimes when they give them a prognosis of months, they may live a year because the care, because we're there all the time, you know, and if the first sign of a, a, a pneumonia yep. or something like that, you know, we go ahead and treat that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually extend their prognosis sometimes, but it's because of the level of care that they're receiving that they probably weren't before. Gotcha. So that kind of makes me think of, um, you mentioned the, the amount of time that we're there. Yes. So is hospice 24 hour care? Okay, that's a great question. We get asked that all the time. Um, hospice is not considered 24-hour care. Okay. Uh, we're intermittent care, and now there are four levels of care under hospice. Okay. There's what 
it's called routine home care, um, which is just traditional visits. You know, the nurse may see a patient two to three times a week and social worker, chaplain, and, and home health aide. And then there's also what we consider respite care. Um, and respite care is when the caregiver needs a break and they just need some help. And so that patient will go into a facility to uh, have someone provide that care along with our help for five days um, to give that family. Sometimes it's so that they can go on a vacation or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then there is uh, what's called general inpatient care. And that's a higher acuity level. Um, that type of care is usually only days at a time, but it's, it's there for when patients have symptoms that are out of control so that we're aggressively trying to change medications to, to get their symptoms out of control. Um, and then there's also continuous care. And we like to refer to that as crisis care so that families don't think that we're going to be there continuously. But right. it is for the same thing only in a home environment versus where GIP is actually uh, giving care in the hospital or in a standalone hospice unit. Gotcha. Okay. So um, I guess explain maybe because I, I totally understand the respite. I totally understand the general inpatient, the GIC. P. GIP, yes. general inpatient. And so the routine and continuous. Okay. Kind of explain that maybe a little bit more in depth. Um, probably 80% of our patients are admitted into care under routine home care. Okay. Uh, it's intermittent visits, and we go out and admit a patient. We evaluate what's going on, and that plan of care will be provided at home mm-hmm. um, on a basis that we feel like are necess- uh, the patient necessitates. And it may be daily. Okay. You know, we may be going daily to try to get the symptoms under control, try to make the, sure that everybody understands how to take the medications, yep. how to properly care for the patient. Um, so Medicare allows on the general routine level for it to be seven days a week. Okay. That's Um, really good to know. Right. So how, how long is that particular visit? It's usually approximately an hour. Okay. Um, depends on again, what's going on with the patient. Um, and then, cause we often get asked by family, you know, how long can we expect your visits to be? Um, the nurse visits usually approximately an hour, uh, home health, uh, the aide will come in and, help them uh, with a bath, yep. bathing, or it's really what's needed by the patient. If the patient needs uh, assistance with a meal prep, yeah. you know, they can help with that. Yep. Um, as far as how often that is, it's, again, based on the patient need. If there's no caregiver in the home and the sure. patient's by themselves, then we step up to try to do that as much as needed. That makes sense. And then, of course, you've got a chaplain and a social worker that can be uh placed into that too. So sometimes when we get patients that are fairly critical, we stagger all that out so that we're providing, you know, care on a daily basis and yeah. we're keeping eyes on a patient to make sure that they're doing okay. Yeah. And then I would imagine based off of those, then you can kind of whether or not if those symptoms become too challenging or, or, um, you use the, used a really good word, um, sporadic or um then then they may have to go to some type of place to 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 control those symptoms Uh, right and crisis care is when we actually come in the home and and nursing's provided on a one-on-one basis 
um, in order to qualify for that care through Medicare terms, it's at least eight hours of nursing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be continuous eight hours, but eight hours through a 24-hour period. Okay, gotcha. Um, so usually we're there yeah. until things are settled and, and you know, we have a routine that's going to uh, take care of that patient. Yep. And, and create comfort and because that's probably a, um, a scenario where it is end of life. Right. Okay. Right. Yep. Uh, and sometimes, you know, sometimes I mean, all of it is, but off, yeah. Right. But, uh, sometimes it may be just that we're trying to control pain. Mm-hmm. And once we mm-hmm. get a routine, uh, that will take care of that, then they can return to re- their regular routine. Yep. Visits. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, another, you know, another, uh, you know, topic that I, or myth or whatever, something that I thought is interesting is do, do patients have to give up their like primary care physician? And that's a great question too. Absolutely not. In fact, there actually is a Medicare ruling saying that we have to give them option to continue to see their primary care physician. We, as an agency for Hospice Plus, we encourage our patients to continue that relationship with their PCP. Mm-hmm. They've been their patients for much longer than we have been around yeah. to care for them. So uh, we encourage that, and we just have good communication with their primary care physician. We update them as to what, you know, if we yep. change medications, things mm-hmm. like that. And I would imagine that has a lot to do with whether or not they can physically go see them, right? Typically, um, as the patient deteriorates, they can no longer get out of the home. Then we become the eyes and ears for the physician. Right. Um, There are families that say, you know, we don't want to go to the visits anymore. It's just too taxing to get the patient to the visit. Sure. So in that particular case, they may choose not to to continue with their PCP and have our medical director take in that role. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, So... Um, another, you know, I think benefit, and we kind of touched on this, but is there, is there a cost to hospice? What is the, where, what is the cost? Question. Okay. okay. Um, if a patient's eligible for Medicare, uh, Medicare pays a hundred percent of the cost for hospice care to that patient. Okay. Um, insurance is whatever the negotiated rate for insurance. Um, and then those that have no pay, we do take those as well on a case by case basis. Yeah. Uh, so charity cases are definitely, you know, nobody needs to be left out at that point in their life. Sure. Um, okay. Um, and then tell me about, you know, uh, on this podcast, we've talked about DNRs, but, but does a patient have to sign a DNR to, to be on or to use hospice? No, no. Okay. Tell me about it. You cannot make a patient sign a DNR. Okay. Um, my philosophy on that is that we have to meet the patient where they are, and then we'll walk that road together. Um, for example, it, you know, you may have a patient that's up and still going to the grocery store and feels good. When we first admit them, we know what that trail's going to look like, um, but they're just not ready because they feel like signing that DNR is the finality um, that they're giving up. So as they decline, you know, we keep working with them. Uh, continue to educate them what that process looks like. Right. And almost, you know, 90% of the time or greater, they agree at the time that it's necessary to sign a DNR. Yeah. And um, I've had this, you know, um, not, 
um, I, I guess brought, brought up in kind of my, my field is just that, you know, I've heard, well, hospice, they, they just kind of stop feeding or co- stop um, giving nu- nutrition, okay. kind of speak about that and kind of what that looks like and, and kind of how that is a myth. Sure. And then sure. that like, and then what y'all actually try to do, what hospice tries to do. And that's that's a great question because in this country, you know, we feed everything. We yeah. feed a cold. We, feed, you know, that's how we show love and attention is yep. to feed it. Yep. Um, and so uh, hospice does not stop nutrition. Right. It, you know, what we try to encourage the patient and families to do is if the patient can swallow, you know, yeah. by all means, let's give them what they want. Maybe we need to make it a thicker liquid mm-hmm. to decrease the risk of aspiration yep. or things like that. Um, but that is something that we have to deal with, you know, on a weekly basis probably is when somebody can no longer eat or drink. Yep. Then the first thing the family's wanting is IV, you know, and uh, I can honestly speak from that from personal experience. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mentioned that my grandmother... Uh, had passed and that she didn't have hospice and I you know I was a brand new nurse right and so I was like I think we need to do IVs right you know and because you know I was trying to determine is that palliative care or not right but the physician at the time said no he thought that was reasonable so we started an IV and um, the thing about it is is when the body is trying to shut down and trying to stop when you give it fluids right it goes to places it shouldn't go and mm-hmm. so we actually accelerated symptoms yep versus controlling them yeah so. And, and so kind of along those lines because whenever i think of food and nurture you know nourishment i mean we're talking about um keeping somebody um happy right and so kind of in the same and, and comfortable right right and so um so talk to me a little bit about a myth here, um, and this is just kind of off of a website I pulled up here, but hospice patients are sedated so much they sleep all the time. So talk to me about that myth. And that's a great myth, um, and, and we hear it all the time. You know, I have, have had patients ask me for the three-day pill, and I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right, right. right. Hey, you know, the one that I take, and then three days I'm gone, and I'm right. like, uh, we don't do that. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it is a myth uh, because we do use medications oftentimes for off-labels. Right. Uh, but it works very well for what hospice care is. Um, typically, for instance, we would use morphine not only just for pain, but also for severe dyspnea. Yeah. Um, and so, but going back to that, um, our philosophy, at least at this agency, is that we go low and go slow. Yeah. You know, I can always add too, but it's really important to have that conversation, I think, with a patient and a family as to what their goal is for yeah. the pain, controlling it. You know, if they absolutely, sometimes patients want to be knocked out. They do not want to feel they're hurt for so long or so bad. Yeah. Even at that, we're still going to, you know, go slow about it. Um, yeah. But we try to really explain to them uh, how we're going to try to manage those symptoms best. Yeah. And so talk to me a little bit about, you know, that symptom management, but also kind of this question is hospice requires you to give up medication. And this is maybe another myth too, um, because, you know, let's say, obviously you're not trying to cure a disease anymore. Right. Um, So talk to me about that balance. Okay. 
Um, that's a great question too, because and we, you know, each hospice is a little bit different on their philosophy for that. I would yep. guess um, our physicians feel very strongly that they don't want to go in and just stop everything. Sure. So uh, oftentimes when we admit a patient, we may not stop any medications and at least for the first couple of weeks, just to see what's going on with them. Now, if they're having problems swallowing or things like that, then we will look at that um, and discuss it. But let's say if I have a camp patient for cancer and they're on blood pressure medicines, right? we're not going to stop those unless they need to be stopped. Um, right. Now, you know, if, if the patient's meal consists of more pills than it does food, right. you know, then we need to look at that. And a lot of times we'll encourage them to DC uh, or discontinue the, the vitamins and the, all the supplements that they may be taking. Um, and maybe uh, if we admit a patient for a heart, heart disease, mm-hmm. um, at that point, their statin drugs probably no longer effective. Yeah, you know we're beyond that. So those are the meds that we might talk to them about uh, discontinuing. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense a lot. Um, so, um, so here's another myth: is families should be isolated from a dying patient. Yeah, that that's an awful myth. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and again, it, it's going to depend on what the family feels comfortable. But we really, really encourage the families to be at the bedside. Right. Uh, especially when a patient's actively dying. Mm-hmm. Um, if And we encourage that to take place before the patient becomes yep. unresponsive, you know, yeah. so that they can tell them their goodbyes. Um, but, you know, at the bedside, as long as the family's okay with it, that's, you know, that's where the patient would want them. Now, I've seen patients that were waiting on their daughter or whoever mm-hmm. to leave the room before they pass because sure. they knew that they wouldn't handle it. Yeah. Um, but even when a patient's non-responsive, the last thing to go is a hearing. And mm. so if we have family members that are out of town or hadn't been able to make it in, we will try to get them to phone in, yeah. put the phone up to their ear, let them talk to them. Mm-hmm. So mm. that's just how important it is, you know, to try to hospice is a very holistic care. Right. It is not just the patient. It's the patient and family. Yeah. Um, that family member is just as important as the patient. Sure. It's good. Here's a here's another myth. Um, hospice is not as good as curative treatment. Hospice is not hospice care is not as good as a curative treatment. And I would say, you know, we're all going to die, right? You know, we all we don't. Some of us get to know when, and some don't. But you know, it, it has to be what's best for you. Sure. Um, hospice care is just as good as curative care. They just have different goals. Yeah. You know, when I talk to patients about hospice care, I usually tell them, you know, your physician said today is as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. You know, we, they, we can't fix what's right. broken. Um, so in that case, you know, hospice care is, is what they need. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, sometimes we don't ever encourage patients to stop a, a treatment unless right. that's really what they want. And and I know I admit patients that, you know, we, we have that discussion because hospice is a very hard decision to make because mm-hmm. they feel like they're giving up. Yeah. Um, and we keep reiterating to the fact that, you know, we're going to walk through this with you. We're going to manage the yep. symptoms. 
but the other thing is, is that Medicare has allowed them at some point, if they just change their mind and they want to go back to curative treatment, then all they have to do is let us know. Yeah. And that's a possibility. So maybe tell me an example of that. Like maybe somebody that was, <clears throat> you know, um, on hospice decided either emotionally and or physically that they were not ready to continue on hospice maybe did that program or was off hospice for two to three years and then came back on on hospice what i don't know if you have an example like that um the biggest example i can usually give that is uh if the patient's in crisis when we admit them yeah um, and we work really hard to get that under control um or if the patients decide they want hospice, but the family's not on board. Mm. A lot of times what will happen is um, the patient's okay with what's going on right. and they understand, but the family member may show up and demand that they go to the hospital, yeah. even though that's not the wish. And so that's why it's so important to have your medical power of attorney in yep. place um, and make sure that person is going to honor your wishes. Yeah. So, but, and sometimes they just get scared, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and we've had cases where a patient or the family got scared. They sent the patient to the emergency room. We meet them there, mm-hmm. um, try to talk to them about what they can, what they can't do. And yep. sometimes it's just a reassurance of the emergency room telling them, you know, there's really not anything we can do. And so then we, they turn around and go back home. And then yeah. sometimes, you know, they decide that. They want to be put on a ventilator right. or something like that. And that at that point in time, you know, they revoke their hospice service and, sure. and they can get aggressive treatment. Yeah. So, so, you know, kind of one, you know, I guess I always hear this a lot. Like sometimes somebody um, comes on a hospice and they perk up yes. because, because maybe as the holistic approach is yeah. done and maybe, um, you know, the doctor and, and the nurses and the and the uh, treatment is different, and so their body responds right. in a different way than previous. And and so I don't know if you had that example. Had that ex- have it kind of an example of that. We do. Um, you know, of course, I've had yeah. patients. I can think of two that are not too long ago. Um, one in particular. Uh, they told him, well, one one was on a trilogy ventilator in mm. the hospital, um, and the we were trying to get him home. He wanted to go home. So the, the key to it was trying to figure out how to get him from the hospital home yeah. via ambulance and, and him not pass in the ambulance because right. he was that critical, um, because they thought that he would pass in the ambulance on the way home. Well, wow. we actually got him home. Got him set up on his trilogy ventilator, um, and he actually lived for like four months mm. with his family at home, wow. happy. You know, yeah. it, it was the best case scenario. Totally is. So, and I think it is because it. I don't know what it's a god thing for whatever you know yeah. that wasn't their time, but I also would like to think it's because of the care that we give, and we're sure. usually when they're that critical. Like I said, we're out there every day, you know, and. Um, our physicians are awesome because, you yeah. know, they are available 24 hours a day and usually we can have new meds on board within an hour right? if needed. That's awesome. I know, I know from my experience, uh, my dad was on hospice and he, he was on, I think three different times he had COPD and emphysema. Uh-huh. And so he'd have these exasperations Yes, yes. and then it was like a month or two on and then 
he'd get to villain so good that he was like, I don't want to do this yeah. anymore. Yeah. I want to, you know, whatever. And then he'd be fine. And then I think it had a lot to do with, he didn't, he liked, he liked going to like, you know, out and being right. social and right. stuff like that. And he wasn't allowed to. And so he was like, Oh, you don't want to do this. And then, so it just kept on happening right. over other times, but that was over a course of a three and a half, four year period. Right. And so, um, anyway, um, so, um, I guess another um, um, another myth here is uh, you you have to have Medicare or Medicaid to receive hospice, right? And that's not true. Okay, you know there is charity care yeah. when for those that have no funding source. Um, hospice also takes uh, insurance. Yeah, and you know. Not every hospice takes every insurance, but in those cases, you know, uh, I think all hospices work together. Yeah. So if I can't take that insurance, then I'm going to partner with one of the hospices in town that can. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Here's another one. Um, hospice is staffed by all volunteers. <laughs> don't know where that came from. I don't know either. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me, but here's a myth. That uh, there's a what they call the core services, okay. which is your your nursing staff, yep. uh, your social worker, your chaplain, and your CNA. Yep. Uh, the, none of those are volunteers. So, yeah, it, so it says here on this little, little whatever, it says, uh, well, hospice services are required to have volunteers. So tell me about that. That's true. What, Absolutely. How, 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 are, how are hospices services required to have volunteers? It, that's just, it's a meditator. Uh, Medicare guideline yeah. that okay. uh, hospices will have volunteer services available. Um, gotcha. And volunteers are amazing. You yeah. know what they can do for a patient uh, in how they connect with them. You know, it may be that your our volunteer uh, lost their loved one not too long ago, um, but they oftentimes your volunteers will go out and they will read to those patients. Uh, they'll run little errands for them, different things like that. Yeah. Just provide companionship sometimes. Sure. And so it is an, an amazing service uh, that they're giving back to others. Makes sense. Okay. So um, I wonder, is there any other like myths that we haven't covered that um, you can think of? And as I'm kind of, kind of scrolling through here, uh, if there's anything else, I also have Blair from, uh, hospice plus two here. Um, do we have any other myths before we wrap up? Um, just looking, I think it, it, it's improved now, but I do think there was a myth that hospice was only for uh, cancer patients. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and now I think probably, uh, congestive heart failure, your heart diseases, yeah. your COPD, uh, your dementia patients, mm. uh, you know, probably outnumber your cancer patients yeah. now in hospice care. Um, uh, yeah. So <clears throat> another kind of a myth is, you know, the word, you know, hospice being a very, very scary word in that it is, it means death, death, right? Like that it's that sudden, right? Once you choose this, you've, you've given up and we've kind of alluded to this. right? And so, uh, maybe you can speak upon that. I think, you know, hospice was designed for patients to receive it six months or less. Yeah. Um, the biggest 
problem that we see is when they wait till the last 24, 36 hours to refer a patient to hospice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it's so difficult to develop a relationship with a patient and family to get their symptoms under control and, right. and to help them prepare. You know, there's a lot of teaching to be done with the family of what right. to expect. Yeah. Um, and the patient, you know, the right. patient wants to know what to expect sure. and how we're going to manage those symptoms or how we're going to deal with that when those times yeah. come. So the greatest service, you know, the physician can give a patient is to make that referral six months or yeah. out. Yeah. Because it gives the most time for the patient to try to prepare. Yeah. Um, well, well, maybe, maybe an, here's kind of a, kind of a, interesting question it's hard to enroll in a hospice program so i mean we've talked about a it has to come from a physician but how but i mean i, I would imagine a patient can just call y'all right Absolutely. too and, we, and then it, you can guys can that's what we do okay. um oftentimes we get phone calls from patients that are yeah. inquire or uh, a neighbor that's yeah. inquiring for a potential patient um, those, those referrals can come from anybody that feels like that patient needs help. Yeah. Um, and then we can try to contact that person or family and their primary care physician to discuss what that might look like. Gotcha. Okay. What else? Any, anything else, Blair? I mean, the biggest thing I, I see in the field, and I'm the one that talks to the family most of the time before it gets to the nursing part yeah. is, I mean, I've even had someone say, I wish you could just take the hospice word out of your, out of your name. Yeah. Or I wish you didn't have to say it was hospice because after you explain to them what all we can as a hospice, what, what the benefits are, they're, they're just, so, they're so shocked. And they're like, if, if you would just take the name out, I think it would be easier. Yeah. To so handle. It does probably have such a, uh, a, a negative connotation to it. Um, but, but once explained, it becomes a really, really positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's great. And they, they wish they would have done it sooner, but the, I think just the whole perception of what hospice they think is keeps families from even wanting to have anyone come out and just speak you know what we can do what we can offer so a lot sure. of times we'll come in and um, ask what their needs are yep. and their needs are exactly what hospice care is and they're pretty surprised because they just shut down when they hear the word hospice yeah it makes sense mm. okay well man we appreciate you and uh, blair us. and teresa for for coming out here and uh, it means a lot and it, i'm uh, real grateful Teresa just stepped out to take a phone call, but uh, super grateful for both of y'all's wisdom and and time and and taking care of people that are on the end of life. It is like super important work. Yes, and um, thank you. So I know I've told you this before, but I think this is a great asset for our community um, just to hear different topics um, and, and have that education without having the pressure of talking to a, a doctor or anything else about it. Yeah. Totally, totally. Hopefully, this will be um, you know good con content for for folks as they kind of make these decisions and um, and, and what have you. Well, thank you all so much. Again, it means the world that you came and talked to us. Um, we are addressing the elephant, and we are out. Thanks. Thank you. I wish I found 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 you a long time.